Well, the last month or so, we have been talking about our mission here at Connect Church. And uh, we talk about mission a lot. Our mission, we say, is to help people reconnect with God. Very simple. Our mission is to help people reconnect with God. And one of the goals that we have is to make Connect Church a safe place for people to have that experience of reconnecting with God. And so uh, we've been talking the last few weeks about how uh, we can build bridges into different kinds of cultures that we find around us. We've talked about building bridges into the unchurched community. We've talked about building bridges into the de-churched community, people that have walked away from the church and many of them who have also walked away from Jesus as a result of bad experiences in the church or for whatever reason. Uh, Last week we talked about helping people who have uh, adopted and embraced the postmodern philosophy. We talked about postmodernism and some different ways that we can build bridges into that community. If you've missed any of these messages, you can pick those up by podcast, uh, either in iTunes by searching for Connect Church Online, or you can go to our Facebook page or to our website. There's lots of ways to link in. And uh, if, if you've missed any of those messages, you're welcome to listen to those. Uh, Today is going to be the last message that I'm going to be sharing with you about how to build bridges, and we're going to talk about right here at home, what are some of the cultural elements right here at home uh, that are kind of sicknesses in our local culture, and how we can offer people the cure that Dr. Jesus offers. And so uh, that's kind of where we're going today. And then next week will be the last message in this series. And next week we're going to be talking about how do we make disciples. Once we've built bridges, once we've brought people into making a connection with Jesus, how do we really build disciples? Because Jesus didn't tell us to go and make converts, right? He said, go into the world and make disciples disciples. And so next week we'll be talking about how we do that and uh, some effective ways of really uh, helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Not just people that pray a prayer, but people that are really walking the walk. Uh, Bozeman, Belgrade, Manhattan, Churchill, Amsterdam, Three Forks. I think those communities are pretty much all represented here. Yes? Anybody from someplace in Gallatin Valley that is different than those ones? All right. We're in a really unique place. Do you know that? Those of you that live here, we are in a very unique place. Chris and I moved here from Great Falls, and uh, Chris was raised or, or born in Los Angeles, and as a youngster moved to Boise, and then uh, we got married and she moved up to Great Falls. But we spent 12 years of our married life in Great Falls. I was born and raised in Great Falls. And uh, when we decided to make a big change in our lives and leave Great Falls, uh, we really analyzed, what are we going to do? What is God asking us to do? What do we want to do? Where would we love to live? It was a big deal to leave a community that we had really put deep roots down in. And uh, when push come to shove, we decided that we just didn't want to leave Montana. We love Montana. And so we began looking for opportunities, and, and the doors opened up for us to plant a church in the Gallatin Valley, and we said, we'll go. Chris got a great job, a dream job, really, for her in this area. And uh, I say often that 
Chris works to support my ministry habit, and, uh, and it's a blessing that she's got a great job. But the doors just swung open, and we were very excited to move to the Gallatin Valley. But one of the things we did not know, when we made the decision to stay in Montana, we kind of felt like we understand Montana culture. We know who Montanans are. We know how to pastor Montanans. Uh, We really wanted to reach Montanans as missionaries to our own home culture. But one of the things that we did not know when we moved here was how remarkably different the culture is here than it is up north in Great Falls. Now, some of you might be wiser than I am, but I just had no clue. I just figured Montanans were Montanans were Montanans. Not true, okay? Uh, One of the first things that we experienced that highlighted this for us and, and woke us up, opened our eyes really to the fact that we were in a very, we're not in Kansas anymore, as Dorothy would say. Uh, one of the things was when we got here, prior to moving, we, we came down to look for places to live, get, get to know the area, all that kind of stuff. And when we would be meeting people and we'd tell them we're moving to Bozeman, invariably they would say, oh, you will love it here. Oh, you will love it here. You never hear those words in Great Falls, okay? <laughs> and, and I know lots of my friends and my family members in Great Falls are going to listen to this podcast, and my apologies, I'm not a hater. I'm really not. That's, that was my home for many years. But you just don't hear people say, oh, you will love it in Great Falls, you know? Uh, and one of the things we learned about the Gallatin Valley was that people come here on purpose, Okay? contrasted with Great Falls, where many people feel like they just landed there and got stuck. And, and that's a huge cultural difference. Up in Great Falls, uh, there's an Air Force base, a very large, well-known Malmstrom Air Force base, and a lot of military people will get stationed at, at Great Falls, and they'll marry a Great Falls girl, and they'll put roots down, and they'll just kind of settle in, and they just don't leave. Or for some reason, they'll, they'll come into Great Falls. Nobody really chooses Great Falls as a, as a place where they want to live. You just kind of land there and you get stuck. And, and that seems to happen frequently up there. But different here, people here moved here because they wanted to. How many of you would say that's true for you? You want to live here. It's on purpose, okay? It's not 100%, but a lot of us have chosen to live in this area. And, and that has all kinds of cultural implications. One of the things that we've observed, uh, people who study culture will tell you that in Montana generally, uh, drinking is a problem, right? That, that people have a tendency to drink a lot in Montana. And, and one of the explanations is there's nothing else to do. So people just hit the bottle, right? Uh, but one of the things Chris and I noticed as we were just kind of getting to know the culture, in Great Falls, a lot of people drink to forget their problems. In the Gallatin Valley, we've noticed a lot of people drink to celebrate, okay? It's just a different mood, a different attitude. This is culture, and every community has different cultures. Every state has a different state culture, but even different communities within the same area have unique cultures. And our task, if we are going to be on mission with Jesus building bridges into our culture, is to understand the culture that we live in so that we can effectively help people reconnect with God. 
So today, I want to talk about how we build bridges into this micropolitan community. And I've used that word a few times the last few weeks. And uh, even this morning, somebody said, what's today's topic? I said, we're helping micropolitans reconnect. And they just kind of rolled their heads into the back of their eyes. They rolled their eyes into the back of their heads. (laughs) I better stick to the script this morning. Let me tell you what I mean by a micropolitan community. Uh, this, is a, this is a word that I stumbled onto a couple of years ago when I was reading about the Bozeman-Gallatin area. Uh, the government calls us a micropolitan community. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's on the first page of your note card that was on your chairs. A micropolitan community is defined by the government as an urban area based around a core city with a population between 10,000 and essentially 50,000 people. And so Bozeman, Belgrade, Manhattan, Three Forks is considered one of these micropolitan communities. It's like a city with suburbs, but it's centered around a very small city. And so here, that small city is Bozeman. According to this definition, then, we are a micropolitan community, whereas Billings, believe it or not, Billings and Laurel and those surrounding communities... Billings is considered a metropolitan community and the biggest one in Montana. So uh, if, if we were to look at a map, and I've got it up here for you, the map of the United States, uh, this shows you the metropolitan communities in the United States in red and the micropolitan communities are in blue around the United States. There are 576 micropolitan communities in the United States And population-wise, we are number, any guesses? We are number 60 out of 576. So we're kind of big as far as micropolitan communities go. Uh, Kalispell, Montana is closely behind us, number 63. We're the biggest micropolitan community in Montana. And so here's what this means, and you can write this down if you're taking notes. There are 90,000-plus people living in our micropolitan community. And that's an increase of 33% in 10 years. That's, that's really remarkable. And what that tells me then is that this is a fast-growing community and we've got all kinds of cultures that are coming in that are just kind of meshing and layering on top of each other, it makes for a very complicated culture here locally. How many of you have moved into this area in the last 10 years? How many of you? Big part of our church community. How many of you have been here longer than 20 years? Okay? We're about half and half, aren't we? So, kind of interesting, and then I didn't count that other 10%, but that's okay. So, anyway, we've got a bunch of people. We're growing, we're changing, and building bridges is a complicated thing with that in mind. Here's what we need to know. 66% of our community, 66% of our people do not attend church of any kind. And that represents more than 59,000 people. 59,000 people do not attend church. We are living, friends, in a huge mission field. We're living in a huge mission field, and it's essential that we be on mission with Jesus, reaching people who need to reconnect with God. That would have been a good opportunity for you to say, yes. 
No, I didn't ask for amen. I said yes. yes. I didn't say hallelujah. I said yes. yes. Thank you. All right. This week, if you were reading along with us, one of the chapters that we read out of the book of Matthew was Matthew chapter 9. And I want to read a part of this story to you, and maybe you've already read it. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 9. This is a very significant story about Jesus that reveals to him, reveals to us his heart for helping people reconnect with God. And I want you to listen to this and think about what it must have been like to hear Jesus talk about his mission. Here's how the story goes, starting at verse 9 of Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was going down the road, he saw Matthew sitting at his tax collection booth. Now, I've talked about Matthew before, and and we've talked about Zacchaeus recently. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And if you understand uh, Bible culture, uh, you'll remember that tax collectors were some of the most despised people in the community. Why? Because they were generally Jewish people who were working for the Roman government. The Jews hated them. The Romans didn't trust them. And so because of this, uh, this community of people just ended up being outcasts. They were despised by everybody around them, and really the only people they could hang out with were fellow tax collectors. This is who Matthew was. Jesus said this, come be my disciple. Those were revolutionary words. So the Bible says Matthew got up and he followed him. Verse 10, that night Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guests, along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. And the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day. They were the pastors and the, the elders and, you know, those, those high and falutin kind of guys. The Pharisees, it says, were indignant. And they said, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, how would you appreciate being called scum? But that's what the religious people thought of these tax collectors. And when he heard this, Jesus said this. Now, listen carefully. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. For I have come to call sinners, not those who think they are already good enough. Now, This is so important for us to understand because churches through the ages, 2,000 years, they've gone through these cycles and it's almost predictable. But churches as they get older and as they solidify and they get their systems in place and they get their members and they get their money and all this kind of stuff, they have a tendency to become organizations in which it's very hard to break in. All right, we've got this set of standards, all right? And it's generally external kinds of things. You've got to give enough. You've got to be holy enough. You've got to conform to this and that and the other thing. Uh, When I was growing up, you know, it was we don't chew, we don't smoke, and we don't go with girls to do, that kind of thing, you know? We didn't play playing cards. We didn't go to movies. These were the standards. And if we wanted to be a part of uh, our little church in Great Falls, you had to sign a card that said we won't do any of those things, didn't didn't talk about all the things we will do, like praying and, and reaching out, but, but we wouldn't go to movies, we wouldn't play playing cards. You know, these kinds of standards, because uh, we wanted our group, our church, to look 
righteous, right? And this is how churches typically go. And it was the same in Jesus' day. The religious leaders of his time were saying, we don't want scum in our church. And Jesus said that's completely opposite. Jesus came to call sinners, not those who are already good enough. Does this make sense? And what we have failed classically in churches to do is to recognize that the church exists to reach the surrounding culture with the message of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? The gospel is the message that Jesus died to pay the penalty for sins, and when Jesus comes into your life, he wants to change you from the inside out. But instead of focusing on the gospel, many times churches have gotten preoccupied with focusing on the externals of what people should look like and act like and behave like. I was reading a book this week that's called uh, Radical Reformation. And the author had a diagram that I kind of duplicated here, and I want you to see it, that talks about the relationship of the gospel and church and culture. And, And what this author was pointing out, and I think we need to hear this morning, is that if we are really going to be on mission with Jesus, we have to hold these three things in tension. We have to have a clear understanding and an embrace of what the church is and and who it is in the world. But we've also got to be committed to, to proclaiming the gospel that Jesus died to forgive sins and to change people from the inside out. And in order to proclaim the gospel effectively, we've got to build bridges into the culture. If we eliminate any one of those three things, we become an out of balanced organism. Let me illustrate. Organizations that embrace gospel and culture, this is kind of a little uh, mathematical diagram. Organizations that embrace gospel and culture, they're taking the message of Jesus into the culture, but they don't have a church to welcome people into. We call them parachurch organizations. And, and I'm not saying that parachurch organizations are bad. There's lots of parachurch organizations that are doing a very good job, but they can't duplicate the work of the church. For example, some of you have been involved in uh, YWAM, which stands for Youth with a Mission. YWAM is not a church. They work alongside of churches and outside of the parameters of a church to penetrate culture and bring the gospel. But they can't be the church because they aren't a church. Uh, We support here in the Gallatin Valley, we support an organization called Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ. Great parachurch organization, but it's not a church in and of itself. It works with churches to penetrate the culture and bring the gospel to people. It's parachurch. Now, if there's uh, organizations, churches that embrace culture, but they don't proclaim the gospel, so it's culture plus church minus gospel, These organizations wander into liberalism, theological liberalism. They've lost the message that Jesus died to forgive sins and transform people. And so there are organizations all over the place that uh, will try to to embrace culture and maybe influence culture, but they don't insist that people embrace Jesus as the Savior and the Redeemer of mankind. They become theologically liberal. And then the last equation is this. Churches who embrace the gospel but reject culture, 
wander into fundamentalism. They wander into fundamentalism. And, and I don't know what you think of when you think about fundamentalists, but generally fundamentalists are people that are anti-culture. They're very dedicated to the truth of the Bible, but they don't have any sense of mission of building bridges into the surrounding culture because they're fearful that it will make them compromise or to sin in some way or another. I firmly believe that if we are going to be on mission with Jesus, we've got to be a church that takes the gospel to our culture. And the challenge that we have is how do we do that? How do we, as Connect Church, how do we bring the gospel to our culture? That's our mission and that's our challenge. So today I just want to share with you some observations that I have on Gallatin Valley culture. And I want to highlight three areas that I see as sicknesses in our local culture and how we can bring sick people to Dr. Jesus for the cure. Would you say Dr. Jesus? Dr. Jesus. Does that make you smile when you say it? Yeah. All right. But that's who he is, isn't he? He said, I've come... I've come like a hospital, Jesus said. I'm not here for healthy people. I've come to reach sick people. I'm Dr. Jesus. I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. I hope he'll, he'll be patient with me, all right? Dr. Jesus. We have sicknesses in our culture, in our local culture. Would you agree with me? And we need to bring them the cure. So let me talk about three observations of, of our Gallatin Valley culture. This week while I was studying, I... Uh, I did a search on Wikipedia to find out what Wikipedia had to say about Gallatin County. And I want to tell you what the top four characteristics that Wikipedia listed. Now, I don't think Wikipedia is the end-all, be-all of search engines, but uh, it's not even a search engine. But it's not the best resource, but I thought this was really interesting. Four top characteristics of Gallatin County, Montana. Number one was that this is where the Gallatin River is. Number two, this is where Montana State University is. Number three, our proximity to Yellowstone Park. And number four, Big Sky Ski Resort. Now, what I want you to see about that is three of the four are recreational opportunities. Recreational opportunities. And what we find in our area is that people who live here love to play, right? People love to play. How many of you love to play? I do, all right? We love to ski. We love to hunt. We love to fish. We love to go boating. We love to go camping. We're up in the mountains, rock climbing, ice climbing. Um, Casey with the baby is an ice climber. Uh, People love to recreate. And what one of the sicknesses that I see in our culture is that for many people, recreation has become a god. Recreation has replaced God in many people's lives. What does that look like? Well, I can't even tell you how many times I've had a conversation that goes like this. Somebody asks me what I do for a living. I tell them I'm a pastor of Connect Church, and they say, oh, well, the mountains are my church. Okay? The mountains are my church. Or they'll say, uh, I connect with God best when I'm out hunting or when I'm out hiking. That's when I really get close to God. And what that tells me is that people haven't necessarily rejected God, but they have rejected the church, right? And uh, I think that's really significant. And essentially, when people 
Uh, I heard one pastor put it this way. He said that I don't believe that if you cut off the body from Jesus that you can really have a relationship with just the head. Okay? Because the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. If we cut off the body, can we really have a relationship with the head? And so what I see as a sickness in our culture is that for many people, recreation has become a God. The challenge for us is to figure out how we can bring the cure from Dr. Jesus to people that have uh, contracted this sickness of recreationalism as a religion. Let me talk about the next one. Uh, As I was studying, I found that... uh, There's a lot of interesting demographical information about Gallatin County. Uh, Our our population has exploded in the last couple of decades. In fact, I I mapped out, I graphed out our population trends. I thought this was really interesting. From 1900 all the way to 2009, this is what the curve of our population growth here looks like. Isn't that significant? If you imagine how that could continue to go, it, it... it, it's going to present us with huge challenges if, if our area continues to grow at this rate. Uh, so we're growing fast. We're also a very white community. Look around this church. We're really, really white, right? Uh, in fact, 96% of our population is white, and our largest minority at 1.5%, any guesses? It's Hispanic. It's Hispanic, yep, so, viva la Mexico. Come on, you Mexicans, give a shout out, huh? All right, all of you shouting aren't Mexicans, but that's okay. So our population is exploding. We're very white. We've got a few minorities. Mexicans. Here's another thing that I found. We're a very young demographic. We're very young. The median age in Bozeman is 25. The median age in Belgrade is 29. But now this is interesting. The median age in Three Forks is 38. Manhattan is 38. Churchill is 39. So it's interesting how the youth is centered in Bozeman and then kind of ages as it radiates out. Uh, But, but here's the median age of everybody in the county, 31. Median age of our county is 31. So we've got a lot of young people in this culture. Uh, we also have lots of singles. This is another thing that I think it's important for us to know. Thank you. Singles give a shout out. Half of Gallatin County residents are single people. Uh, or, or I should say, half of Gallatin County residents are married living together. So the other half is generally single. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and then here's what I want you to hear that I think is an incredible sickness in our area. We have extraordinary wealth living alongside indescribable poverty. And I think that's a sickness in our culture. The median income for a family here is almost $47,000, which is not bad. Uh, But when you think about the fact that in every pocket of our society here, we have multi-million dollar homes and places like the Yellowstone Club that excludes people who don't reach a threshold of income, uh, and yet 
12.8% of our people live below the poverty line. 12.8%. We have people living under bridges in this cold. We have people living in tents in the winter. We don't even have an adequate homeless shelter. And Bozeman has gained the reputation around the area as being the place that just sends homeless people down the road. We'll buy you a bus ticket, but we won't build a rescue mission. It's a, it's a sickness in our culture. And so here's number two. This is the sickness that I see. Wealth has become a god in our culture. Wealth has become a god in our culture. You probably know uh, the story of John Bozeman who pioneered our area. Uh, he was known as a greedy, corrupt man. man. And, and people have told me that they believe that the influence of John Bozeman persists to this day. Uh, when we first moved here, uh, I had a, a long conversation with Dale Van Dyken sitting up here in the front, and, and he told me the story of this area, and, and he was one of the ones that told me that the greed and corruption of John Bozeman has laid a foundation for the culture that still exists in the Gallatin Valley today. In fact, he told me the story of the railroads coming in and beginning to develop the Bozeman area. And uh, they needed farmers to come in and, and purchase land. So they solicited the Dutch people to move from, from the old country over to the new world and settle in the Bozeman Valley. And, and they would advertise certain lands for sale. And then what Dale recounted to me is once the Dutch people got here, it was kind of a bait and switch kind of thing. They believed they were getting the real fertile, beautiful land in the downtown Bozeman area, but when they actually got here, they switched and they sent them out to Amsterdam Churchill area, which was less desirable property. And so the duchies ended up settling out there, and they became very, very successful. But there was this constant undercurrent of greed and corruption and dishonesty that the, the Dale said, and I agree with him, still infiltrates our culture today. Wealth and greed and dishonesty is a huge cultural sickness in our community. And so how do we give them the cure from Dr. Jesus? That's our mission. That's, that's our challenge this morning. Um, I'll get to how we offer those cures in just a minute. But let me continue on with this story of Dutch people. Uh, as most of you probably know, uh, the Dutch community came and they settled in the Amsterdam Churchill community. They became a huge cultural force. How many of you have Dutch heritage that are in here today? I'm making you do a lot of hand raising. We've got a bunch of you. Uh, huge cultural uh, force. They uh, raised malting barley for the Manhattan Malting Company in the early days, and, and the Dutch people became farmers and ranchers and, and very successful. One of the huge influences that the Dutch had on our community was the establishment of Manhattan Christian Reformed Church in Churchill. And if you've traveled down through there, you've seen that big church on the hill. In fact, uh, I wasn't able to find out definitively, but I, I, I think Churchill was named for the church on the hill, right? Does that sound plausible to all of you? And that church has had a profound influence on our community, okay? Now, let me say right, right here and now, uh, I don't believe in calling out churches or pastors and saying they're bad, so that's not what I'm doing. But I just want to make an observation on our culture, all right? Uh, 
The CRC has had a huge influence, and it still does today. That church has been around for 100 years. Manhattan Christian School, uh, some of you have students in Manhattan Christian School. They're doing a great job. But what happens many times in communities, and I see that here, is when there has been a long-term influence of, of a large, powerful church in a community, what lots of times happens with people, it's not the fault of the church, it's people. People become religious instead of connected to Jesus. And, and I see that happening, not because the CRC is bad. Please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's been a long influence of religion in this community. And one of the things that Chris and I have seen since living here is that for many people, religion has become a god instead of becoming lovers of Jesus. Religion has become a god instead of being real lovers of Jesus. So these are the three, these are the three sicknesses that I see in our culture. And, and what I believe is that if we want to be missionaries to our culture, if we want to be effective at building bridges into our culture, we need to find out what the cure is And it's not enough to say, bring them to Dr. Jesus, all right? I believe that we need to be on mission by bringing the antidote to these sicknesses. We need to discover what the antidote is to the sickness of worshiping recreation. We need to discover what the antidote is to worshiping wealth. We need to find out what the antidote is to worshiping religion and build bridges to influence our culture. And I would like to believe that we, as a missionary force, could be agents of change in our community to heal and transform the culture of the Gallatin Valley. Do you believe we can? I I believe we can if we'll be on mission and partner with Jesus. So let me give you number one. If we're going to cure the worship of recreation, what we need to do is invite recreationalists to experience true Christian community. This is the cure for worshiping nature or worshiping recreation, is for people to experience authentic Christian community. What do I mean by that? Recreationalists generally become very, very isolated. And a lot of times they love being alone. Uh, when, when I read, uh, you know, I read a lot, and one of the things that I'm always amazed at is when you hear about a grizzly bear mauling or whatever, you know, from a hunter or a hiker or a camper, almost all the time they're out there alone. And, and Chris and I always say, why do people go hiking alone? That's so stupid. Why do people go hunting alone? You, you know, and I think this is just part of the recreationalist culture. People go out into the wilderness and they like to be alone. But the truth is, uh, being that alone is a sickness when we understand that Jesus calls us into community. And so what I want to suggest to you is that we need to be the kind of Christian community that we can invite recreationalists to be a part of as an antidote to this false worship of everything recreational. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is one of the reasons why we have structured Connect Church the way we have is because we recognize that this is a, an avidly recreational community. And so we offer a Sunday morning gathering that you are all at today, but also we offer a Sunday night gathering because we recognize that many recreationalists are out all weekend long. 
And we want to offer an opportunity for people to come to church on a Sunday night and experience God, experience the love of a Christian community, and dive in and find the cure for that sickness of worshiping recreation. But here's the problem. Here's the challenge. It's easy for us because we don't see recreation as being an evil part of our culture, right? It's easy to focus on evil music and evil sex and, and evil drugs and all that kind of stuff, right? It's easy to, to target those as evils. But because we see recreation as a good thing, it's easy for us to say, you know what? I'm going to dive into recreation. I'm going to, it's summer, I'm not going to go to church. Or maybe it's easy to say, you know what? I played so hard yesterday, I don't feel like getting up. I want to throw out a challenge to all of us here today. If we're going to be effectively on mission with Jesus, we have to be committed ourselves to Christian community so we can invite people to be a part of what we are committed to. Hello? You've gotten a little quiet. Hebrews 10.24 says this, Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. Don't neglect getting together in Christian community. Why? Because community is the antidote to the sickness that has become such a big part of our culture. So be committed yourself and then invite recreationalists to be a part of it as well. Here's number two. The sickness is making wealth a god. And I want to suggest to you today that we can build a bridge and bring the cure by inviting wealthy people or greedy people to experience Christian generosity. We can invite them to experience Christian generosity. But the same thing is true of us. If we claim to be Christ followers, but we are not we are not following Christ and his example in the way that we are being generous, then there's no way that we can offer a cure to the sickness of our culture. And it's easy for lots of Christian people to say, you know what, we've got wealthy people in our church. I know that so-and-so is giving. I see them put their offering in the, in the basket every week. I don't need to give because I lost my job a year ago and I'm struggling or, or uh, I, 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 got, I had this... This crisis at my home, something broken, it's going to cost me $1,000. I don't need to give. Somebody else will cover it. I want to tell you that the instruction from Jesus is overwhelming. He calls us to be radically generous. Radically generous. And if we are not living out the generosity that Jesus calls us to, not only will we not experience the blessings, but we won't be effective on the mission. Because greed and a focus on wealth and a focus on security and a focus on what I have is a sickness that has invaded our culture and it seeps into the church. Do you hear what I'm saying? It seeps into the church. So if we want to be on mission with Jesus and bring the cure to the world that worships wealth, we have to be different than the world. Watch this video, would you?
Here's a story from the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 12. It says that Jesus went over to the collection box in the temple, and he sat and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. And many rich people put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two pennies. And he called his disciples to him, and he said, I assure you, this poor widow has given more than all the others have given. And then this is, this is the, the, the sucker punch here. For they, the rich people, gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she has, has given everything she has. And Jesus, if we're honest about Jesus' teaching, we have to be honest with the fact that Jesus calls us to outrageous giving. The Pharisees were condemned, but they never, ever, ever failed to tithe. But Jesus said it was not good enough. They were giving out of their surplus. He calls us to outrageous generosity, sacrificial giving. And I just want to suggest to you this morning that if we don't follow Jesus by giving generously, we can't effectively be on mission at changing the greed of our culture. Give generously. And then what I want to suggest to you, share the stories about how God has blessed you. Tell the stories of how God has blessed you, how God has transformed the lives of people because of your generosity, and invite greedy people to give with you. They don't even necessarily have to be believers, but help them find the cure, and in the process, you will be able to introduce them to Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? Give, tell the stories, and help people discover the cure. Then here's the last one. The sickness is worshiping religion as a god, instead of being connected to Jesus. If we want to offer people the cure, here it is. Invite religious people to experience authentic Christian worship. There's a difference between dead religion and authentic worship. Do you know what I'm saying? Religion is just dead. It's just form. It's just going through the motions. But authentic worship is life-giving. It's a connection based on a real relationship with a living God. Religion is just service out of duty. Worship is coming to God out of a passion, passionate love and a gratefulness for his sacrifice in Jesus. And if we want to bring the cure to the sickness in our culture, we have to be worshipers. We have to love Jesus with everything that's in us. Jesus said in John chapter 4, I used this verse a few weeks ago, the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I want to invite you to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. Not faking it, not going through the motions. And then when you encounter people who are religious, but they don't love Jesus, invite them to be a part of your worship, of our worship, of our, of our worshiping community. And I believe that we can be a part of the cure for dead religion in the Gallatin Valley. And again, I'm not criticizing other churches. Please hear my heart. I just know that there's a lot of people who've been raised in church, whatever it is, who just practice empty religion. And I believe Jesus calls us to so much more. And I think most of us in this room have experienced more. 
But you may even be here today and it's just dead religion. I want to challenge you today. Go for something more. Find Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus because he is the doctor that has the cure for everything that ails us in our community. We're going we're gonna to post a question on Facebook uh, this afternoon and and uh, just before the message, I was going over my notes, and I just had this question. These are three sicknesses that I've identified in our culture, but I'm curious to know, what are the sicknesses that you see in our culture? There's a lot more of them. Uh, we've got people who are far from God. And I just want to throw this question out to you. What are the sicknesses you see, and what's the cure that Jesus offers? And I hope that you'll join the dialogue, join the discussion, and, and weigh in on that, and and together, brainstorming together, uh, I hope that we can be even more effective at being on mission. Sound like a plan? All right. Would you put your things away? We're going to sing this morning. John chose a song. I think it's becoming one of my favorite songs uh, that proclaims the gospel. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Friends, this is the gospel. Uh, I believe that our call is to infiltrate our culture in every way that we can and bring the gospel to our culture and then introduce them to the body of Christ, the church, helping people reconnect. Would you stand together? Let's sing this song together. Jesus Christ, my Savior.